This is Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe. On ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. Good morning and welcome to Talk Back Gardening. It's the first weekend of March. Good morning, John. And are you fringed out already? (laughs) I'm not, I'm not, but um, some people might be. Yes, there's a lot of activity going on. And of course, following the fringe is the festival. And then following the festival is the end of daylight saving. (laughs) Did I hear a number of gardeners saying, hooray? I have to say it's... Quite dark in the mornings now. I can understand why we have daylight saving. And I think there are many gardeners that say at the beginning of daylight saving, oh, this is good. It gives you extra time at night time to do things in the garden. But uh, it does seem to go on just a little bit too long. And I wouldn't mind getting gardeners to send in their comments just to sort of balance things up for uh, those that really do like the daylight saving. (laughs) Well, look, you've opened a hornet's nest there, John. I think we go back... Um, in our clocks on the 7th of April. So we're just over a month away from that. Yes, yes, weeks and weeks more to come. There are indeed. (laughs) Well, let's focus on this morning's program. Um, It's lovely weather and everybody is hoping that uh, the mild weather will continue through autumn. Darren Ray back in December said probably... uh, 2004 autumn will be similar to last year, and last year was pretty good. So, confirmation from Darren Ray, independent climatologist, uh, in about half an hour's time, and uh, Darren will give us a three-month weather outlook specifically for home gardeners. Later in the program, we're going to then take a look at uh, roses. Uh, There's an opportunity to have all your roses blooming on a particular week in April. Why would you want to do that? Well, it's showtime for many rose lovers, But there are other benefits of doing it and how you do it. Uh, Gavin Woods, who's the president of the Rose Society of South Australia and a regular guest on Talkback Gardening, and he always comes armed with so much good rose-growing information. So make sure you listen to what Garen has got to say about roses and trimming roses. Yes, and uh, my roses are looking very scrappy at the moment, so I'm looking forward to hearing some advice on what we should be doing. Oh, most roses are looking good. Oh, I'll not say most roses. There's, there's, because we had wonderful rain in both uh, uh, December and also in January, that stimulated the rose bushes. And, of course, there's a bit of a dilemma out there because many bushes are in bloom at the moment. And there uh, is Garen and uh, Rosarians, they're going to trim. Are they going to trim off all those blooms or is there a, a, a way around it? Can you have your cake and or have your blooms and, 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 and enjoy, enjoy them, them too? <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, give us a call right now. We are Talk Back Gardening. So John is here ready to answer your gardening questions. Uh, don't wait. You'll get straight through to him on 1300 222 891. 1300 222 If you'd like to make a comment, your texts are welcome on 0467 922 And I have a couple of ABC Gardening Australia magazines to give away later in the program. one three hundred triple two eight nine one. Call now to get straight through to John. Just remember that John's advice is of a general nature and shouldn't be taken as personal professional advice. This is Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe. On ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. Yeah, okay. Zeta from Westlakes on the text line says, I'm a very happy gardener. After several tries, this is my first success with Sturt's Desert Pea. And she has sent through, I don't know if you can see it, John, an absolutely stunning picture of Sturt Desert Pea. Is that something you've ever tried to grow yourself? Oh, not for a long, long, long time. Many, many years ago when I was ABC Rural up at Renmark, uh, then uh, very, very sandy soils up there and uh, the district agronomist uh, up there horticulturalist up there Ross Wishart he'd Te- got the technique absolutely right and he had agricultural pipes uh, instead of laying them down horizontally they were uh, upright, filled up with uh, R- R- Renmark sand and growing his uh, stirt peas and that and uh, they were just absolutely brilliant. I learned a lot from Ross uh, at that particular time but uh, yeah, it, it can uh, it, it's, it's possible and I suppose the Achilles heel is, is wet feet 
Exactly. So you've got to have that right soil so that it drains away. Absolutely. They're not yes. used to much rain out in the desert, are they? <laughs> <laughs> that's no, why they're still they're, desert they're, That's right. They're sitting there. Seeds are sitting there. And a lot. And you usually find that the seeds are concentrated in the, in the lower areas. Along comes a good rain and it soaks the area and stays moist for quite some time. And depending on how much rain we get, uh, uh, we'll uh, determine how brilliant the display is. It's well, great up when, when you do go into the pastoral areas at, at the time when uh, uh, they are flowering. It's, it's just wonderful. It is, and Zeta's is pretty gorgeous, I have to say. Well done for growing that. one three hundred triple two eight nine one is the Talkback Gardening line. Gerald from Paralawi will get us going this morning. Good morning, Gerald. Uh, good morning, and good morning. Uh, I have a weed problem in my vegetable garden. Now, I can't identify it. I don't know what it is. Some people think it's a succulent, but it's, it comes up everywhere. Okay, can you give us a bit of a description? Does it run along the ground as a ground cover, or is it more upright? No, no, it's very uh, flat. Run, okay, and it's got bronzy leaves? Yes. Okay. <laughs> wow, I think John knows what you're talking about, yeah, Gerald. Yeah, yeah it's, okay. it's one of the, the portulaca type things, um, okay. and they are very, very, very easy to control. Um, and I think if you uh, are you able to sort of spray in between your vegetables? No, I don't spray. I don't spray my garden. No. Right. Oh well, um, <laughs> that makes life pretty difficult for you. Um, there are organic fertile uh, organic weedicides. Would you care to sort of bowl them over with an organic weedicide, or well, you just don't I want to use any weedicide? No, I just pull them out. But right. they just keep coming okay. and even well, in the, the flower thing, pots. The important thing then, Gerald, is you've got to be smarter than the weed. The weed is made for survival, and you'll watch it, and it'll form little yellow flowers, particularly depending on which one it is. Anyway, it will flower, and it will seed profusely, and those seeds will drop into the ground, and that's next year's problem. What you need to do in your vegetable patches, make sure that you don't let them flower and set seed. And if you do that, uh, that will, over a number of (laughs) years, reduce the seed bank and you'll be the winner. In the meantime, I suspect that uh, if once you've got your veggies growing, mulch the area. Put a nice thick layer of soft mulch on that and because... the weed germinates from seed and the seed is close to the surface and it needs light to germinate. So if you can stop the light from penetrating onto the soil when it's moist and warm, again, you should be the winner. Okay, I understand that. Thank you very much. Thank you for the call, Gerald. Appreciate that. Jump on the line now. You'll get straight through to John on 1300 891. And thank you to Matt in Karunda who sent through some beautiful pictures saying here are the Sturt Desert Peas Karunda Council has planted and they've done a very good job of it as well. So it's nice to see them, uh, you know, that we are growing our, it is our state floral emblem, isn't it? That's right. Sturt's Desert Peas. It so certainly is. Let's, now, let's the question see is, it. Should, it. should we be calling it Sturt Desert Pea or is it the Sturt Pea? And I think you'll find that you'll get a wonderful argument on that. Yes, we've already got an argument going on uh, Daylight Daylight Saving. saving. Let's start it on the Sturt's Desert Pea as well. Uh, It's Christine from Christie's says, I think Daylight Saving is not appropriate for South Australia as the heat of the day is always in the afternoon and gardening is not appropriate then. Thanks, Christine. Definitely a gardener's perspective. One three hundred triple two eight nine one. Carol has dialed in from Moonta. Uh, good morning, Carol. Good morning. What's the problem um, so, there, Carol? Yeah, so my question is, I've got some small gum trees that I've planted, and what I've noticed is they get their new tips, and the ants swarm the trees. I'm wondering, are the ants sucking from the small trip, uh, small tips, new tips, or are they? Or are they going for something that's on the tree? Yes. And how do I treat it? That's right. If you take a look at the leaves, um, maybe not the the first lot of growing tips, but behind them, the more mature tips, uh, leaves, I'm pretty certain that you'll find all kind of little lumps on there. Yes, that's true. Okay, little waxy materials. Then they're little scales or lerps. Um, and both of those are sap-sucking insects. Now, okay. the ants say, right here's a bonanza. There's a gum tree, and it's susceptible to these lerps and scales, and uh, what happens? Uh, the ants will bring in these little insects and 
plonk them onto the leaves and uh, they'll get growing and uh, they grow so much on the gum trees that they produce so much sugar that it comes out of the little lerp or the scale and the ants clean it up so it's symbiotic that the ants basically are farming these little insects and if you can control your ants you're probably 80% there towards controlling that particular problem. Now, now you don't have to use a lot of toxic chemicals to control ants. On a day like today, watch in the afternoon where the ants are coming from. They'll be coming out of little holes. And -hmm. you can buy now, uh, and surprisingly, you can buy it. um, It's more easy to buy from a supermarket than it is often from garden centres. But it's, it's ant nest gel. It's designed specifically to control ants. You put a little drop of the gel where you see the hole is where they're disappearing. The ants will take it down into the nest and distribute it around to everybody else, bowl them over. And if you're persistent and can do that over a number of weeks, it's Mm -hmm. surprising. You can clear the ants out of that particular area. Okay, great. Thank you. Now, I mean, uh, ants, you know, I I love ants, but they have a purpose. So you don't want to sort of nuke them. You don't want to spray the whole ground and, and get rid of the ants and everything else that goes yeah. with it. Just That's get them out of, of, of where they are invading the, the gum trees and you should be ahead. Great. Thank you very much. Thank, great. Thanks for the call, Carol. Lovely to hear no. from you. one three hundred triple two eight nine one is the number. Judith has called in from Millswood on that beautiful fruit, the pomegranate. Good morning, Judith. Hello there, Deb. Um, hi, John. Um, I've been given a pomegranate in a pot and the pot uh, is about... Uh, 40 centimetres diameter and about, I'd say about 60 sort of um, height, so it's sort of long and thin. And the pomegranate's sort of been topiaried a bit into a ball, but quite twiggy. Got some leaves on, but what sort of pot, is that pot appropriate for it? Depends on which variety you've got. Uh, there are pomegranates which only grow probably a metre, a metre and a half tall. There are others that will grow three metres tall and uh, the, the canopy will soon become so large that uh, the poor old plant will run out of energy and moisture very, very quickly. Um, do you know what type it is? It started, look, it started with a V like Vela or Vera or... Oh, that doesn't help you, does it? Right. Uh, well, I'm not up on <laughs> pomegranate varieties to that extent, no, but I, I can help you. That. I, uh, look, I uh, you're fine. That, uh, uh, let the let the plant tell you. And yeah. uh, okay, so you've described its height. It's 30 centimeters wide and 60 meters deep, and that's not a bad volume. And that should yeah. give you a canopy at least, uh, say, a meter high. And while you're watering and fertilising normally, if it's still putting on plenty of new growth, well then uh, that's okay. If you find that uh, it stopped putting on new growth, uh, it probably says it's time to move me into a larger container if you want more growth. The other alternative is to say, right, oh, I only want you to grow in that pot and I only want you to grow that high. So every spring, late spring, uh, you take it out, uh, the, take the root ball out of the container and you just yeah. slice a little bit off the bottom and around the sides, put it back into the same pot with some nice new potting mix and you've given it a, a short back and sides of the root system and that will okay. reduce the, the energy and, and the, uh, uh, the amount of a canopy that you get on top of the root system. Okay. Do you think it'll fruit? Should I, will I get any fruit off it? Ah, uh, well, that's a different matter altogether. <laughs> All depends. <laughs> no, so you you need lots of sun, particularly morning sun, and you need to get your nutrition right. And it may right. be that when you you've got to trim it to sort of uh, you've got to have a balance between the canopy and the root system. And often right. uh, you've got to be able to uh, trim the canopy so that uh, it's in balance with the root system and in doing that you're chopping off uh, the potential flowers. Uh, On the the other hand, trimming it can actually uh, slow its growth down because Mm -hmm. you're removing a lot of of the uh, the tip growth. So I don't know that I can give you a good answer on that one. uh. No, that's okay. Hey, can I just ask one other little question? Wandering Jew, what weed you know about? Oh, it's a beast, isn't it? How do, you, how do I get rid of that? Uh, pers- persistence. I mean, it's yeah. very, very easy to just uh, get your spade or something sharp and just cut it off at ground level. Um, yes. If it's, if you've got lots of it? Uh, look, we've completely renovated our 
garden got seemed to get rid of it but it has now got a new garden and now it's come back again right, right. well if you just got little spots you can spot spray it and, and if you spot use your uh, glyphosate spray um, when you've got your glyphosate spray uh, you can buy uh, um, materials uh, just just put a little bit of uh, cooking oil or, or a vegetable oil in with the glyphosate not very 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 much um, because it's uh, the leaves of it will will shed the water and and the spray. You need something that will fix that up. Uh, so, I think you can either spot spray it, or if you've got large quantities of it, uh, scrape it all off, let it grow again, and when the new growth is about twenty centimetres high, that's the time to apply your glyphosate. Okay, great. Okay, that sounds fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you, Judith. Lovely to hear from you. One three hundred triple two eight nine one is the number. Now going back to Lerps, Julia at Parkside said striated pardalotes. Love lerps. Yes. They are beautiful little yes, birds. Yes. And so if you can attract them into your garden, they might deal with the lerp issue for you. And the cat is definitely amongst the pigeons when it comes to um, daylight saving. John, Amanda says, uh, enjoy daylight saving. Wish it lasted longer. I can sleep in in the morning and garden after work. This texter, though, says the time has nothing to do with when you do your gardening. You garden when the temperature is appropriate and you can't predict what time of the day that will be. Um, but Paul at Parahill says, I love daylight saving as it is it gives me time to garden after work in the evening once it cools down that's the thing a lot of us have to work that's right yeah and so there's a big difference isn't there between the people that are working and love their garden and those who've got plenty of time at home and uh, they can garden according to when they want to exactly and paul goes on to say if there was no daylight saving it would be too dark i'd get nothing done p.s me and my groomsmen had Sturt's peas as the buttonhole in their wedding suit. How unusual. I don't know that I've ever heard of that before. Uh, we're going to talk to Lila and Helen next, and we'll be speaking to Darren Ray very shortly with his March autumn seasonal outlook for gardeners talk back gardening line is 1300 222 891 if you'd like to make a comment the text line is 0467 922 talk back gardening with john lamb and deb tribe on abc radio adelaide we are now heading to now i always get this wrong lila is it cape jervis or cape jarvis i call it cape jarvis but what's the what's the right pronunciation lila no. No, it's Cape Jervis. Cape Jervis, naughty me. Okay, I've slapped myself (laughs) on the wrist. Now, you'd like to get some advice from John on transplanting exposed fruit trees. Yes, I planted um, a couple of fruit trees out the front of my block and it cops a lot of um, uh, south winds and um, they've struggled over the last couple of years and I thought to myself, it's time to move them. So I just want, they're about a metre high, uh, they've been in for about three years. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to move them out the back where it's a little less exposed. Okay, that was a good little description there, Lila. But you didn't tell me what type of fruit trees they are. Oh, well, well, well. One is the mulberry and one is a guava and one is an apricot. Okay, so we've got two deciduous and one evergreen. Um, So if you want to, I would leave your mulberry and uh, your apricot until winter. It's dormant Uh then, and uh, if you do that, uh, and uh, maybe just uh, depending on how much of the root system you take, uh, cut it back, uh, the canopy back um, appropriately, and it will hardly miss a beat. As for your guava... Um, I think you could probably do that in the next two or three weeks. Um, oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Um, water the soil. Um, yeah. Give it. Make sure that it's in in good active growth. Um, so, uh, give it a deep watering and put some uh, uh, soil stimulant material. One of the seaweeds or the variations on a, a soil stimulant. Get the root system active, and maybe in about two weeks' time, uh, you can move it to where it's going. And the important thing, of course, is uh, where it's going. Fix up the location now. Uh, get plenty of organic matter into the soil, loosen it up, uh, make sure it's nice and moist, so when you do move it, um, it, it's in perfect condition. Right, wonderful. Now, can I ask one more question, please? If it's a quickie. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, okay, okay. I have a grapevine and a passion fruit vine growing on my side fence. All they do is grow leaves. So? Both of them. What's wrong with that? Well, 
I wouldn't mind a bit of fruit. <laughs> <laughs> okay. so, I'm, not, I'm not asking a lot. No, okay. Well, the grapevine, it makes your, is it a fruiting grapevine or is it ornamental? Well, I, I bought it as a fruiting grapevine, yes. Right. Uh, and so. And it's never had any fruit at all. That's pretty strange. Uh, it's That's in full, get, gets a plenty of sun? Plenty. Righto. And uh, it's growing vigorously? Yes. Righto. What happens in autumn, uh, sorry, in springtime, you get your new growth, and after about six weeks, um, you should see little uh, um, fruiting uh, sprigs appear. Does, do, do you actually see the little uh, flower flowers starting to form? No, just leaves. Just leaves. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I can only assume that it's got so much vigour that it's not in fruiting mode. And you'll find that plants, when they are growing very vigorously, particularly when they're young, they don't flower and they don't fruit. And as they mature, they slow down. Hormone balance changes within the plant, and it then will start to uh, provide the flowers and the fruit. So I can only think that you are overstimulating it with too much fertiliser and water. Um, And if you're not doing that, I've got no idea what the problem (laughs) is. All right. Uh, now, what All was right. the other thing? You said a grape. What was the other? A passion uh, fruit. A passion fruit. Oh, passion fruit. Okay, right. Yeah. And it's doing the same thing, is it? Exactly the same thing. Right. What are you doing to the soil? Well, actually nothing, because as you can imagine, living at Cape Jervis, the soil is, you know, somewhat depleted, and I've never fed either of them, and they just get, you know, the, a bit of, I give them a bit of a drink. Uh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, there must be something that's in the soil that was in the soil before they were planted, or else uh, mm. maybe they've struck water. <laughs> there could be a little sort of stream coming in underneath, and they've discovered that, and uh, uh, they're, oh. they're Going for happy it. little chaps. All right, Lila, we'll, we'll have to move on, but thank you for that call. Lots of things to do in your garden by the sounds of things. Helen is in Kapunda uh, with a citrus question. Hello, Helen. Oh, good morning to you both. Yeah, I've got um, four pots of uh, citrus, um, one metre high lemon, orange, mandarin and finger lime. And I really would like to get them in the ground, you know, now or soon um, because I think they'll just grow too big over winter. Um, Is it okay to still plant them? Helen, you can either do it now or soon. But very yeah. soon. Don't leave it too yeah. late. Uh, the soil at the moment is uh, 22 to 23 degrees, comfortably warm, ideal planting for uh, all kinds of uh, uh, semi-tropical things, the uh, passion fruit, uh, avocados, citrus. And while the ground is nice and warm, uh, you'll find that if you can uh, move them into good soil, prepare your soil before you actually move them. And should we get a, a spike, a sudden heat spike, uh, just putting a little bit of shade cloth over it, uh, just throwing it over over the canopy so that uh, it just it doesn't go into too much stress, I think you'll find that that should be very, very successful. So is there a time limit? What, what month do you think? It'll be too late. Well, um, listen to Talk Back Gardening or else subscribe to the Good Gardening Newsletter. In the Good Gardening Newsletter, um, we actually publish... Um, uh, the soil temperatures. There's a little box there and it's got uh, soil temperatures for three different uh, suburbs across Adelaide and it, it looks at this week's temperatures versus the previous week's temperatures and also it gives you the average for the week and if you watch that you'll find that they're saying it's 23 it's around about 22 to 23 uh, some of the suburbs one of the suburbs is a little bit warmer than that but watch that But and as a guide you'll find that it's here it is, it's March. By the end of March, soil temperatures will have dropped by about 4 degrees um, from the beginning of March to the end of March. And the same thing will happen. It'll drop 4 degrees in April and 4 degrees in May. So where we're sitting in luxury at the moment at 22 mm-hmm. degrees, by the end of May, soil temperatures will be back around about 16 degrees. And you wouldn't plant a tomato then, so <laughs> if you want to get your planting, do it soon. 
Thank you very much. Thanks, Helen. Great to hear from you in Kapunda. We are going to be talking to Darren Ray next and get his uh, autumn, March seasonal outlook for gardeners. And thank you to Laura from Panati Station who says, we had Sturt Desert Peas as the centrepiece of the tables at the reception at our wedding last year. We purchased them from the Port Augusta Arid Lands, flowering in pots and then gave them away to family as wedding thank yous. What a wonderful idea. Oh, oh, that is gorgeous. Yes, and people will remember that. That's things like that that stay in the mind. Yes, well, and happy happy marriage to you. Thank you, Laura, for telling us. And full remarks to the Botanic Gardens at Port Augusta. Yes, incredible. If you haven't been there... Pay out a visit. I agree. Really, really wonderful place to go. Uh, the seasonal outlook for gardeners is up next. It's half past eight. This summer, have a safe one by learning your ABCs. A is for action plan. Having an action plan means you know what you're going to do and how you're going to do it. B is for be safe. Be aware of the hazards you may face in the local area. C is for connect. Connect to abc.net.au slash emergency for the latest emergency information. During an emergency, listen to your local ABC radio station. ABC Radio is your emergency broadcaster. Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe. On ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. Autumn has arrived and after summer, summer was, from a gardening point of view, pretty good. Not a heat wave in sight, only one day over 40 degrees. And there is the potential of autumn coming up without any heat waves or heat spikes. But we need somebody to confirm that. Mm-hmm. And that person is our wonderful South Australian climatologist, uh, independent climatologist, Darren Ray. Good morning to you, Darren. G'day John, and g'day Deb, and to everybody out there listening. So, can we uh, look at that issue? Temperatures, will they remain mild to warm without extreme heat through March? Yeah, I think that's pretty, that's what we've got on the cards, John. Um, I was just having a look at the temperature map for summer, and um, it's pretty interesting that the southern coast of South Australia is about the only place that was uh, near average temperatures in Australia. Everywhere else was really warm, and that really just highlights those weather patterns from this influence called the Southern Annular Mode that um, brings lots of southeasterlies uh, for us. And um, when it's in the, the positive phase, which we've had through summer, that looks like it's going to continue. So essentially, we're looking more of the same um, over the next, uh, as we go through through autumn. So that positive uh, SAM, the Southern Annual, Annular Mode, which is responsible for those southeasterly winds blowing, they're going to continue through March, you're suggesting? Yeah, certainly. Um, so, I mean, one of the things that influences them is stratigraphic temperatures in the, in the uh, around the poles. And I was looking looking at some some NASA data from that yesterday, and it's actually dipped down a bit more, which should reinforce that positive SAM influence um, over the next couple of weeks, at least. So, mild weather for March. Let's take a look at what's going to happen in terms of March, in terms of... No, we need to do rainfall as well, sorry. So, let's go back. (laughs) It's dry. We haven't had any rain during February. So, let's take a look at March in terms of temperature and rainfall. Yeah, um, so I guess the interesting thing with February, I mean, we actually got through February with no rainfall, which is, um, while it's actually been... Been really relatively wet uh, for an, particularly for an El Nino summer across the eastern states, and that's um, so that uh, positive SAM also tends to drag moisture down from the tropics. But um, for us, there's been a bit of a band across South Australia that's been being really quite dry. That really just points to we've got warm ocean temperatures to the northwest of Australia, um, so we've warmed up. So the ocean temperatures to northwest have warmed up pretty quickly after last year's um, positive. Indian Ocean influence, Indian Ocean dipole influence. Yep. Um, so we've got we've got that first ingredient, John. We've got the warm oceans there. Yes. Uh, with moisture source. Um, re- but really, the so the other thing we're looking for is the tropical activity kicking off the right place and uh, enabling that moisture to move into the middle of the atmosphere. And that's we've had a little bit of that, but it's also been a bit suppressed because of um, the, the where it's the patterns formed across the Indian Ocean. So we've had a bit of a lead on rainfall. Um, through February, um, suppressing the form, sort of formation of it and coming and coming down over us and turning to rain, that's looking like it'll stay in place through the next two weeks, and then um, and then that uh, weakens off in the third week of March. So basically, 
what I'm seeing is we've got some of the ingredients there. It's going to struggle in the first couple of weeks in March, and then um, third week looks like it could have a bit of a go. In terms of a go, we're terming not heat but uh, rainfall. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, so no, that's okay. No, I, I confused um, you to start and, with. So. Yeah, and and but that does that does also mean a similar sort of thing for temperatures as well. So it does impact um, temperatures as well. So tends. So so what that means is the first half of March looks like it'll be um, be the warmer part of the month um, in terms of the weather the, that linkage to the tropics supporting a bit temperatures that are a bit bit on the war a little bit warmer than average. Yes. Um, but no, no heat waves or no, no heat spikes? Um, so just the occasional day when we get a, a, a cold front coming through. So, um, But, you know, we, we, we might we might jag a day that gets up into the mid-30s but um, or yeah, possibly even high 30s, but, uh, you know, one, one day there maybe over the next couple of weeks and then it looks like we'll uh, lose that influence. And But, yeah, pretty persistently, you know, high 20s, maybe getting up into sort of 30, low 30s, um, occasionally, so nothing too extreme, very pleasant gardening weather, um, and that's the, that's the first half of the month, and the second half looks like it could back, go back back to more sort of low mid-20s um, through the second half of March. Okay, and in terms of rain, you sort of said there's a system coming through in the middle of the month, might we get a, a good rain out of that, or just likely showers, or could be either? Um, so there's there's, a, there's there's systems coming through in the like the next couple of weeks in the short term weather. They're just really struggling to produce much rain. Um, so you know, with everything, there's a little bit of a lid on at the moment, as I, as I mentioned. Um, so that third week, it's 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 got the be- best potential in terms of when when the when the weather system comes through in that third week. Okay, um, well that's March, a, a dry start, rain. potential for moisture in the middle, but not too much. A dry finish. We move into April. Uh, what's going to happen in terms of uh, uh, warmth and moisture? Yeah, the, the interesting thing, John, is. Um, that influence in the from the tropics, the sort of particular pattern we saw through February, it looks like it could kick in again through through most of April. Um, so once again, I think we'll, we'll probably have a bit of a lid on rainfall through through April. So uh, yeah, it suggests we could could have a fairly dry month there. Um, there's if it's going to if it's going to do anything, if a rainfall um, looks like uh, once again around around mid April is probably the best chance. Um, but overall, I, I suspect we'll probably have a fairly dry month. Okay, so again, April is uh, similar to March. Dry start, potential for moisture, but not too much, and a dry finish. Okay, so what about May? Well, I think last time we were talking, we were suggesting that there's a potential for a break in the season in May. Might that break the pattern? Yeah, I, for those listening, um, I, I, you know, I, I, there was some sort of some indications we might get a little bit of an early break in mid-April, but... I actually sort of suspect there's other things going to be suppressing it a bit. So we, it's really going to pr- probably make things a little bit later and um, and until that second week of May, I think it'll get a bit more active. And uh, we've got the warm oceans there and we get the, uh, you know, the tr- sort of tropical activity in positioned in the right place. That sort of second week of May, I think, is the chance, a be- a best chance the next, um, over the next couple of months to get some decent rain. Gee, that's a wait. Quite some, quite some time to before we get a decent rain and fill up those water tanks and things like that. And and will the rains then continue uh, and 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 into June and and early winter? Are we looking at a a wet early winter? And I suppose that impinges on the issue: is uh, is La Nino, is El Nino, the the, the warm one, uh, going to f- fade quickly and and be replaced by uh, uh, the La Nino? Yeah, yeah, and that, that's really the big question at the moment. And um, so, so a number of the models, particularly the US-based ones, are, are going for a really rapid change from El Nino conditions. So, El Nino and El Nino events, uh, if they're starting the year before, they tend to finish up right about now, um, and you know head back to neutral. Um, so a fair bit of the modelling has has got a really rapid dive into La Nina conditions during winter. So we could be, you know, in, in some of the models, be in La Nina by as early as sort of sometime through June. Um, but there is still a bit of mixed opinion. So some of them are a bit more neutral still. So okay. can I ask, uh, what are those mixed opinions? What about uh, the Darren Ray opinion? <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, it, so uh, so I guess what's what supports the one of the things that supports development of La Nina outside of the modelling is. Um, 
seeing some changes along the South American coast, which support um, you know, some cooling off along the South American coast, which supports the development of La Nina through this year. So yeah, it's we're seeing seeing in the ocean temperatures um, over in the Eastern Pacific some some of the signs of uh, of a La Nina event developing over the next few months and and so essentially what that means is um you know we there's a pretty good chance we'll as we go through winter uh might start start off maybe touch on the dry side but then get wetter as we go through um july august and then particularly once we get into september sorry uh, spring um and there's also some indications of um a bit of a negative indian ocean dipole influence so the yeah. wetter phase from the ocean yes and then we've got those record warm ocean temperatures which we've seen over the last year or so sitting underneath um, uh, climate influences which uh, produce wet conditions. So that combination could be particularly wet as we go through spring. Well, there'll be a few farmers out there saying, that's interesting, Darren, let's hope it uh, occurs that way. Yeah. Fascinating. So can I just recap, if you yeah. don't mind, Darren, tell me if I've got this wrong. For autumn, we're looking at March, a warm first half, the possibility of a heat spike here and there, mid to late 30s, but, you know, just a possibility. Some rain in the third week and a cooler second half of the month in terms of Temperatures, so we're looking at what a sort of a, a average or below average temperatures for March. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, probably yeah, something near average. Maybe a touch on the cool side overall. Yeah, a- and a dry on, finish. That's a really good summary. Okay, yep. and April we're looking at once again uh, average or below rainfall, possible rain uh, mid April, but with another dry finish there. Um, and temperatures are they around about average? Uh, yes, yes. So there's still, yeah, there's st- um, it'll probably, I mean, overall, the influence we're seeing in the first half of March will probably extend over most of April. So, yeah, it could actually just end up maybe a little bit a little bit warmer on average, which, I mean, that time of year still means, you know, we'll, we'll probably see temperatures in the you know, mid-20s and occasionally getting up into the high 20s and maybe even some odd sort of low 30 temperature day through April. Average temperatures for April I think is 23. Right and then for May we've got potential for a break in the season in the sort of second week Um, mid-May. Temperature wise how are we looking for May? Yeah May May looks like it will might start warmish for that time of year um, but it does look like it'll it'll switch into a bit of a winter pattern Mm. with that sort of second week of, of May. Wonderful. Okay. Well, look. Thank you for that. I'm not going to. I'm not going to look ahead to winter <laughs> quite yet. But yeah, uh, ter- terrific summary, Deb. Um, so, yeah. Now, Darren, we've been talking a lot, and we will continue to talk on the program this morning about some of the amazing things that are coming up for the uh, Adelaide Festival, um, and of course the Adelaide Fringe Festival. And you've got a couple of things, or uh, two days of activities coming up in on the 16th and 17th of March. Yeah. There's um, there's a floods of fire. Um, festival thing happening which has got a bit of a climate climate change theme at Adelaide University um, and uh, particularly 16th of, of March um, so in two weeks time today um, in the afternoon there's so a whole bunch of different sort of performance stuff going on around the university it's all free um, you, you can uh, but there is uh, limited spaces so you, there is some free ticketing that you can get online on the through the festival page um, and all sorts of different performance space uh, stuff going on. I'm involved in a, in a bit of an interesting piece with um, some musicians from, say, um, composer Mark Ferguson, uh, who's the head of the jazz department, and he's got a bunch of really great students um, together with a band, and we're doing a bit of a performance piece. There's all sorts of things going on. There's some talks going on, so I'll be doing a quick seven-minute talk um, at some one point on the, you know, the opportunities that present themselves around transforming uh, South Australia's energy system. And then in the evening, there's a, a citizens' choir happening um, out on the maths lawn at the university, and that should be... A, and I'm having, having a little bit of involvement with that from a climate science perspective as well. So That's wonderful. So there's two, two events on the Saturday. And they're and, free? And, and they're at the university, and they're free. Yeah. And then I think on the Sunday, uh, you're around at the Festival Theatre for another event around there. But it's citizen science that it's better, uh, best, and climate change very much to the fore. Yeah, so look, look give yeah. me some uh, an idea about that, and I'll try and remind people on the actual weekend, Darren. And just one more thing before we let you go. On the text line, someone that's trying to organise their Easter holiday, <laughs> is it going Here to be dry for Easter? Oh, I think I, it starts I, the end of March, and I think you were saying cooler 
and probably a dry finish there. Is that right? Okay. Um, oh, and so so end of March. Um, yeah. So I suspect it'll be. I mean, pretty pleasant. Um, I mean, it's obviously to, to, to really hard to be exact this uh, this far ahead because of the you know the chaotic nature of the weather systems. But overall, it does suggest it'll be a bit bit on the sort of dry side and and probably fairly similar to what we're seeing at the moment. Yes. Okay. And I've got written down end of March dry, beginning of April dry. So could yep. be a dry at least, and hopefully a nice warm. Darren Ray, love talking to you. Love exploring what lies ahead, particularly from a gardening point of view. And look forward to talking to you first Saturday of next month. Yeah, thanks, John, and thanks, Deb, and, yeah, look forward to seeing you then. Thank you, Darren. Darren Ray, our independent consulting climatologist, uh, joins us on the first weekend of every month with his seasonal outlook for gardeners. Well, we'll be speaking to Steve next. You can join them. Call in now if you've got a question for John on 1300 222 891. Ahead, we are going to be talking roses with Gavin Woods, and I've still got two ABC Gardening Australia magazines to give away. This is Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide. Steve is in Aberfoyle Park. Steve, your cypress pines aren't looking too good, I hear. No, they're not, uh, Deb. And hello, John. Uh, I've got some large cypress pines which appear to have canker from the amateur research that I've done. And uh, they're dying off at the top and showing signs down the trunks of uh, uh, sap leakage. And um, uh, apparently it's an airborne fungus which travels on the wind and, uh, and the rain. So um, I'm not sure that I can recover the trees, but I'd be interested in any advice. Yes, very difficult. Uh, there's a lot of confusion over there's a little uh, insect, not a little, it's a very damaging insect. And so when you get individual branches, little small branches, and they die back, that's usually the insect. But when you get what uh, uh, Steve is describing, there's a, a whole limb dying, and you usually get a lot of waxy kind of material oozing out, which I presume is happening there, Steve. Yes, it is, John. And it's mainly from the top. Uh, you see the tops of the trees are quite damaged and I've been pruning uh, they, they said that fastidious pruning with sterilised instruments was one of the ways of slowing it down but uh, it hasn't re- the, the, bottoms, the bottom of the trees seem to be reasonable but the tops are dying yeah. back um, Can I assume that it, uh, the cypress are growing along with a hedge somewhere, that we're in pretty hostile conditions and uh, could it be you've got heavy soils and probably get fairly wet during winter? Uh, yeah, fairly wet during winter. <laughs> um, they're, they're 30 foot tall, all of these cypress. Yeah, There's okay. uh, six of them and they're almost touching each other. It's one of the sad things that uh, when uh, we think, right, oh, we want something around the the edge and we want uh, uh, screening plants and in go the uh, cypress. And uh, then once they're planted, you turn your back on them and walk away. And what happens is the soil becomes very, very hard. They very rarely get watered. They don't get fertilised. And so life becomes a struggle for the first 10 years life is okay and as they get older there's less nutrition and they can become more stressed and that allows the uh, fungal problem to become established it's more likely in the heavier soils there is no cure you're stuck with no, it no i know you're stuck know. with it um, and uh, okay they're an important part of your uh, uh, landscape uh, it's going to deteriorate and yeah, okay, you've, you've learnt, obviously, uh, the spores will spread it from one part of the tree to another, and mm. when you make a cut, it's quite likely that uh, uh, the uh, spores will get into that cut, so you need to be very, very careful to sterilise what you're doing. And I don't need to give you a lecture on that, Steve, you're already doing it, but for those yeah, that have got yes. the problem, you need to be very, very, very careful. Um, and I just think that sometimes <laughs> it's, it's time to say goodbye. Um, mm, it's an enormous, enormous amount of work to oh, have to remove when it happens. Absolutely, but, uh, to have mm. to get rid of them all. Mm. Um, so what to do, I would be encouraging the soil, uh, in, the, the plants, get them back into as much health as you possibly can. So the mm. most important thing is make sure there's no weeds. Uh, I would be putting on a good application of uh, a soil 
a fertiliser, an organic fertiliser that's boosted with, with soil, soil microorganisms and yes. uh, the kind of materials they put on roses and things like that. I think yeah, there's some, some other brands coming out of that particular company I think uh, would be very, very useful and put a, a large quantity on, I say, a, large, a good, say, uh, a two centimetre layer over that, then mulch it and then water yeah. it regularly, you know, deep watering once a month, uh, try and get it back into good health. I would also probably get um, a, a packet, a small packet of trace elements. And it could be that uh, there are trace elements missing. So, okay, you're going as organic as possible, but get the trace elements and spread that uh, over the soil before you pour, you put your mulch on. And sometimes uh, the missing elements and the trace elements can make a significant difference in the health of a plant such as that. Okay, thank you very much for your advice. Thanks, Steve. Uh, it's a big job ahead. <laughs> Appreciate the call. Our number is 1300 222 891. Lindsay has called in from Plimpton Park. Now, your dwarf mandarin's not doing well, Lindsay. Yes, thanks, uh, John and Deb. Um, the dwarf mandarin is a prolific fruit bearer, and it is right at the moment. But about a week ago, the irrigation system failed, and the tree has dried out. The leaves have gone very pale and are just dropping off. Um, I'm wondering whether anything I can do to save it. Has it got fruit still? Lots of fruit on it, yes. Yeah, well, I think if you want to save the tree, I would be getting rid of most of the fruit. Um, okay. It's in massive stress. And yes. um, it's going to try and uh, keep those fruits because inside the fruits are presumably seeds or it thinks that there are mm-hmm. seeds and there might be a hybrid and it doesn't have seeds. But uh, the tree wants to sort of hold on to its fruits and it'll do anything it can. Uh, but that will be at the expense of growth. And what you need is new growth. What you've got to do is mm. re-stimulate the root system more than anything. Uh, so if you're really keen to keep it, I would be off with all the fruit and mm-hmm. then uh, I would be spraying the leaves with a foliar fertiliser, get some nutrition into the leaves, and uh, then start to work on the root system. And as we were talking to Steve about uh, getting the soil going uh, for his cypress, you need to do the same thing. Don't go overboard, don't put on too much uh, material, but I would be getting some uh, soil stimulants, things there, there are yes. uh, either fertilisers and liquids that you can get in which will stimulate the microbes in the soil. That's most important. You need to have, make sure there's plenty of organic matter in the soil for the microbes to feed on. So uh, get that right, and then once you've got that right, uh, I would be. You don't need the trace elements, I don't think, but uh, I would certainly putting on a good mulch, and then making sure that you water and get your watering right. Get a little trowel and give it a deep soak, um, and make sure the water's gone down probably about twenty centimetres, and then don't water it again until that topsoil has dried out, and then put on more water down to 20 centimetres. So it's infrequent, but deep watering and getting your soil microbes to work for you, with that going, it's quite likely you can save your tree. Okay, well that's good advice. I'll uh, get home and get the fruit off. Yeah, the toughest thing is going to have to be pulling off all the fruit. Mm, Yes, sad, but it has to happen. Oh, Lindsay, okay, yep, sad chore. Thanks very much for your call. one three hundred triple two eight nine one is the Talkback Gardening line. Um, this text is saying they enjoyed listening to Darren's report. Uh, Steph says, will, with the weather synopsis there, with daylight savings, we'll be watering by candlelight, the way things are going. Thank you for that. Uh, Jane on the south coast says, I loathe extended daylight savings. The mornings are too dark for too long. No time to prepare the garden for hot days in the morning for us that have to head off to work. Unless by torch. It is often still hot after seven and uh, for hose watering too. Thanks, Jane. Um, my, my concern, Deb, is, is the other end of the day. I love getting up early in the morning, you know, 6.30, having breakfast with the dog in the garden. And it's not quite the same when you get up there and you're ready to have your breakfast and the dogs <laughs> have her breakfast and it's all dark. Exactly. I know the feeling. I have, I'm have. i an early riser myself. Um, now, Prue from Inman Valley, the cat is amongst the pigeons, not just on daylight saving, but also on Cape Jervis Jarvis, says it was named by Matthew Flinders and the correct pronunciation is Cape Jarvis. I was born in the area and it always was Cape Jarvis, says Prue. Um 
Uh, Emily from Port Augusta says, wonderful to hear someone talking about the Australian Arid Lands Botanic Gardens. Emily's off there to do the quiz and hopefully call through. Thank you. Uh, And someone wants the details of the events Darren was promoting. We will talk about them in coming weeks, but if you go to the Adelaide University's website, they're celebrating their 150th this year and it is one of those events. Yes, and if you go to the Adelaide Fringe, go to Adelaide Fringe Events and then put in Floods and Fires... And that should get you there, and that'll give you the, some background information. It's quite fascinating how they're going to get citizen science, just people coming along, playing instruments and singing. Uh, they don't have to be sort of experts, but uh, the focus will be on how climate change is affecting our community. Now, Paul from Chandler's Hill has got some uh, good advice for Steve and his Cypress says, I took John's thoughts. I got rid of 40 pines with the same issue when we moved here four, five years ago. Haven't looked back. Do it. He says to yeah, It's Steve. a tough decision, that one. It is, but, you know, if you go down that path. Now, last week we were talking about your own herb garden and someone on the text line says, what is the ideal soil temperature for planting garlic, please? And we were having a bit of a debate about what was the best garlic for South Australian conditions, John. Yes, and Penny Woodward was our guest. She's just a wonderful uh, uh, person who's got so much information on so many different herbs, but particularly uh, uh, the garlic. So we come down to the variety. Um, Turban was the variety uh, for planting in South Australia if you're wanting to plant early. But she also mentioned that if you're planting late, there's a a, a type of of garlic called Creole. Creole. And they are very, very good. They're a soft-necked garlic and and uh, they are very very suitable to Adelaide's dry climate but coming back to the ones uh, planting early uh, and I think it was uh, Monaro purple and Australian purple were the two varieties that uh, were in Penny's book and just on that uh, I was going to put uh, Penny's information in this week's newsletter gardening newsletter I've been through one of those horrific kind of computer <laughs> meltdowns uh, computer <laughs> and also a human meltdown my body is in trouble at the moment so uh, I've got to get that right and so it all appeared all last week and so next week's newsletter will have a link to uh, Penny's uh, website which is just www.pennywoodward.com.a and it's not only her her books on herbs but it's also she writes uh, blogs and and, and has information there it's very very valuable so more of that in in next week's newsletter and what about temperature oh temperatures we almost forgot that yeah okay so uh, ideally uh, what you want is warm temperatures and when the temperatures I think are dropping probably below 20 so towards the end of March would be I think a good time mid to late March The, the thing you need to watch is if the soil is warm there's nothing wrong with warm soils they'll grow like steam but if you have warm soils and very moist soils then there's a potential of your garlic becoming rotten so you need to make sure if you're planting early and you're using a lot of water you've got good drainage otherwise delay your planting until late March or early April but uh, more about that in next week's newsletter probably as well. Brilliant. (laughs) Uh, We are coming up to the 9 o'clock news. Thank you to Wayne on the text line. says, three months of daylight saving is more than enough, thank you. I live out on the far west coast and you can see what it's like out here. And Brenton's in agreement, says, let's get talking. Daylight savings should start mid-September and finish mid-March every year. So there you go. Certainly lots of views on that. Well, we have got Gavin Woods, a Rosarian, joining us. How to get your blooms timed right. And there are some tricks of the trade that Kevin's going to let us know about. I've got a couple of ABC Gardening uh, Australia magazines to give away as well. Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia, and Broken Hill. There's nothing better than a wonderful show of roses and it's possible to encourage your roses to have a brilliant display in April. How do you do it? Well, Gavin Woods, president of the Rose Society of South Australia, is one of the many rose growers uh, and rose lovers who'll be out in his garden this weekend trimming his roses because he wants them to bloom in April. It's time to say good morning to you, Gavin Woods. Good morning, John. Good morning, Deb. Great to be with you. What's it all about? Why is it that you can actually encourage your roses to bloom in a particular week? 
Well, look, John, uh, autumn roses are the best. They're the biggest and the most fragrant, and we want to maximise the potential of those roses. So our rose show this year is, starts on the 25th of April. So what, we're about, what we are able to do in autumn, which is not possible in any other season, is to do a count back from between 49 and 56 days, give our plants a fairly light trim, um, give them some triggers to make them burst into growth and, uh, you know, 49 to 56 days later we have a magnificent show of roses. And that variation, is that because of uh, temperatures or is it because of variety? Well, mainly variety, John. <coughs> some, some roses will bloom uh, 49 days and others take in the 60 days, but we, we kind of take 53 days as an average where most of them will respond. Okay, so this is the weekend, and if you prune your, or trim your, I must say not say prune, but say trim, and well, let's explore that, uh, Gavin. Why is it we say uh, trim them, and, and so what do we mean by trim? Well, John, it's a very different process to the winter prune. You're not worried about the structure of the plant at all, all we're doing is uh, removing all the growing tips just to the point as if you were picking a nice bunch of roses for the house. So all the spent blooms, all the old hips, any growing points that the plant has produced, uh, we just uh, remove them back to a nice uh, growing point um, with a bit of length of stem, perhaps 30, 30 centimetres is enough, um, and that will trigger them trigger the plant to uh, produce its bloom altogether. And the fascinating thing about a rose is where you get a new branch, you'll have a rose on the end of each branch. You have a rose on the end of each branch. So I've already started, I started work yesterday, and some of my plants uh, I cut off up to 80 growing points. So therefore, I'll get 80 flowers to pick from from the rose show on that plant. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, there is a bit of a dilemma, though. We had good rains in December and in particular in January. And so if you wander around, you can see rose bushes. And uh, a lot of the bushes have got lots of flowers on them at the moment. So there's Gavin Woods. He's going to get out there and trim probably every little branch uh, so that he gets lots of roses in, uh, in April. But what about those that say, well, I don't want to chop off my existing rose blooms well i uh, i have a bucket and uh, anything in flower of course we give away to friends so um, you know don't uh, don't avoid cutting those off i guess the dilemma is when you've got nice big buds that you know aren't ready to pick um, look, I cut them off, I, I disregard them, they will respond in exactly the same way. But I understand people who don't want to do that, and that's fine to leave those, and they'll flower in the intermediate time. All right, so you get uh, some blooms coming in relatively early, and then uh, in comes your main display later in April. That, that's right, that's right. And I mean, another little trick is to do half of the bush uh, one weekend and another half of the bush the following weekend so you spread the bloom time. Okay, time's going to beat us so we need to uh, move from trimming, that's most important but that's only half the story. You've got to encourage the bush to be able to uh, give you the flowers. How do you do that? So John, it's a two-stage process, a, a big soaking of water, so probably double the normal allocation of water, ideally a few days before you trim. That'll trigger the, um, the nodes to start moving, the, the growing, growing points. And the other thing is a really good organic feed. So feed your plants well, water them well, trim them and they'll respond. Okay, and uh, the fact that the show will be in... April and a little bit later and of course that is the same date that you'll be having your People's Choice uh, competition. Yeah we're again combining the two events so the Rose Show actually opens after lunch on Anzac Day mm. and the following day uh, the first time for probably over 50 years we've held a weekday show. The People's Choice event which everyone knows about in the National Rose Trial Garden 
That starts on the 26th and continues through the weekend of the 27th and 28th. So, so there's three a... days this year instead of two. And one other factor, uh, there are those that probably uh, um, don't want to trim all their roses, or maybe they do, but they also are thinking very seriously about planting new roses uh, when the new roses are coming out and the planting time in winter. But now it's time for activity. Great, great time, John. So remove the old roses as soon as you can. Um, get lots of organic matter. You've already talked about this to earlier guests. Lots of organic matter and soil stimulants into, into the ground. Very important. And just before we let you go, Gavin, um, this texter says, does the pruning method you just spoke about work on heritage rose, roses such as Archduke Joseph? Well, uh, unfortunately, a lot of those roses are once flowering, so it doesn't matter what you do to them, they'll only flower in spring. If, if they are repeat flowering heritage roses, yes, they'll respond just the same. What about a climbing rose? Look, climbers are more difficult to manage, John, and then they usually need a much longer window, so they, could, they might take 75 days to respond. Okay. But, but they will respond, but a lot longer time frame. All right. And just before we let you go, the last one, um, someone sent through a text with a picture of their roses, says they're going strong, but they're starting to go a really light green. Is it too much nitrogen? I doubt it's too much nitrogen. <laughs> it, it might be a chlorosis situation or a nutrient deficiency. Uh, really easy to diagnose if you see the leaves. Hard to diagnose over the phone. Okay, no worries. Thank you so much, Gavin. We'll talk to you again uh, definitely in April, but thanks for your time this morning. Thanks, John. Thanks, Deb. Bye. Gavin Woods, President of the Rose Society of South Australia. Congratulations to our magazine winners, Lynn in Hackham and Lois in Tanunda. And Alana has rung through to say that the book Espalier is still available at Dimmick's. Oh, how wonderful. By Alan yeah. Gilbert. Yeah, so it, there you go. If you're a keen gardener and you've got fruit trees and you would like to uh, understand the process of Australia, that's a, a, one of those kind of books you should have on your shelf. Exactly. It, it's just a master book. It's amazing. Just to end with Francis's text here, John says, We recently heard John describe the soil temperature at this time of year as like baby bear's porridge. At Hollowellina Station... East of Craddock in the Flinders Ranges, we've had 37 millimetres of rain in the last 36 hours. It's baby bear's porridge with cream and sugar <laughs> on top. Oh, the I veggie love that. garden and native plants will be very happy. We're expecting a heavy crop of Kwandongs this spring. It's surprising how much moisture has fallen in the pastoral areas and to the north. And our areas to the south, southern Adelaide and the southern agricultural districts are just so atypical of what's happening around the rest of Australia. And that's the value of Darren Ray. He understands the local situation and is to be encouraged, I think, uh, in uh, the work he's doing. He's doing a PhD at the moment. And uh, I think from that will come some wonderful information. Exactly right. Well, John, next week we'll be back to do it all over again. Yes, and we're going to talk begonias in particular and also ferns because the Begonia and Fern Societies are holding their show one day next Saturday at the Community Hall at Clemsic. Until next week, I'll say good gardening.